Hello and welcome to another episode of the Halftime Podcast. I'm your host, Danny Cook, and today we are joined by a very special guest. Um, something a little bit different to our previous coaching podcast episodes, and hopefully he can bring a different insight and a different avenue of thinking uh, to this podcast. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce Ollie Cottis. How are you, Ollie? I'm very well. Thank you for having me. Pleasure Not to be problem. on. Not a problem. Um, so how are you keeping yourself busy at this time? So I'm quite lucky because I've got uh, all my family back at home. So I've got my brother. So we basically just we play a lot of table tennis during the day, try and do a bit of um, sports psychology stuff, which is what I'm going to talk a little bit about today. Um, and just generally trying to do a bit of do the standard exercise that's been allowed. So you get out of the house get doing stuff and try and make the days a little bit varied I think so it's not just the same thing every day nice and how's the uh, table tennis going is it very competitive it's always very competitive someone always ends up in a bad mood after we finish playing but we've got a long long tournament going on throughout the whole of lockdown so it's pretty tight at the minute so uh Oh, we have to get Sky Sports on the case. They've they got exactly. some sports to broadcast then. Get the cameras in. <laughs> are you uh, are you utilising any of your psychology skills when it comes to table tennis? Whilst it comes, well, to be honest with you, we kind of we we're psyching each other out all the time when we're out there. So it's uh, I get done by all the stuff that I try and tell people not to get. Um, caught up by and things like that so it works both ways but always try and throw a few mind games in there yeah love it love it um so without further ado let's let's jump into the the main topic of discussion so um for those who obviously haven't come across you before haven't heard from you before um would you mind just explaining your role and um what what's involved in a in being a sports psychologist yeah, absolutely. So I am currently training as a sports psychologist and through that training, it involves getting some hands on experience at um, at uh, sports clubs. So I'm primarily focusing on football at the minute and they're the two experiences or practices that I've got so far. So one's at uh, Kinger FC football club with the men's teams and the under 17s and then the other is with uh, the first team at Brentford Women's Football Club. So get to work in both men's and women's football, which is really good. And for me, the role basically entails, covers two main areas, which are performance enhancement and then also enhancing well-being. And I yeah. think both areas are as important at each as each other or should be as important as each other for football clubs, potentially with enhancing well-being as taking a priority if that was to drop off then you would my belief is that that would then need to be built up before going into any of the performance enhancement stuff because you need that foundation of a healthy mind and healthy well-being and being in a good space in order to maximize your potential and your performance so it covers those two aspects um and i guess the best way for to describe how i go about things because the brilliant thing about psychology is that everyone could go about it in a slightly different way. So any psychologist may take a slightly different approach to what I take and uh, things like that. So, and the best way I can describe it is if you picture a triangle and on each point of the triangle, you've got thoughts, emotions, and behaviors. And it's mm -hmm. basically about how those three things interact with each other. 
So trying to optimize that triangle almost to gain the best outcomes for you personally. So try and get positive emotions that lead to positive thoughts, that lead to positive behaviors, etc. Um, and that's how I tend to operate when I'm working with these clubs is to try and optimize these thoughts and these emotions so that we can generate the best performance behaviors and also well-being behaviors um, for whoever it is that I'm working with. That's great. That's great. Um, so just building on from that then, is there any particular area that you feel is, is probably your strongest um, it, when it comes to sports psychology? Is there, there a real area that you think you you sort of take it to your own and it, and you that's just your area of expertise? Um, so I think that's it's a great question. It's something that obviously only really doing a, a season or we didn't even complete the season really did we unfortunately of the applied work it's quite it's been quite varied so far so I haven't really been able to get too heavy into one particular area because obviously as I said every individual is different so they people come to you wanting to improve different things or to solve a particular problem um I think I've had a lot of experience in terms of building confidence and building players confidence and if they they lose that confidence and trying to find ways to build that up so that's probably something that I've had more experience with dealing with and trying to generate a couple of techniques in order to improve that um, but as for a specific specialized area I think for me it would that's almost too early to say because of the length of time that I've been doing what I've been doing Okay, yeah, that's a fair a fair response. So let's rewind the clock. Let's take it all the way back to the beginning. Yeah. Um, how did you first come across a sports psychologist path? Yeah, so I think it's it's one of those, it's not an obvious route to take, and it certainly wasn't something that I, I couldn't sit here and say it's something I've wanted to do since I was four years old or anything like that. It's definitely developed as I've gone through the educational um, scales really or the educational route so I did sports studies GCC and A levels and loved it um, and that then led me on to doing a degree in sport and exercise science and within that they did a lot of sports psychology modules so one that particularly stood out for me was a module on motivational psychology um, so that was really influential for me in the third year of my degree and then I think weirdly or not weirdly but the the world cup in 2018 that was in my final year of uni so all the the courses had finished and got into that brilliant summer of the world cup and there was a lot of talk around that world cup especially with the england team about how they used a sports psychologist and how they were very open about using it and i think that really it wasn't until that point that it really opened my eyes to it and I really started to think about, oh, that would be a really interesting thing to do. And that's when I got into looking to do a sports psychology master's, which I was lucky enough. There was a place left on the course at St. Mary's and I managed to get in straight away in the September after my degree. So I got to carry it straight on, which was brilliant. Um, and so then did that, obviously, the master's for a year, did it full time. Um, and that gets me to stage one of being a sports psychologist and then I'm looking to start my stage two in October. Um, hopefully get that get that process up and running um, so that I can get fully qualified, as I said at the minute, just training. Um, and then obviously the roles with Kinja and Brentford have come by just sending emails around and asking around if anyone wants 
um, to utilize a sports psychologist uh, voluntarily. So, and that's been really, really helpful for me to have that experience. So that's been fantastic. Great. We're, we're going to touch on those two um, very shortly, but I just want to delve a little bit deeper into um, your your association with with football. Um, yeah. Did you always have a a did you have any other role as a as a youngster? Was you a player? Was you a coach? Um, did you have any other role in the game as you as you progressed, obviously, on the psychology side um, or is this new? Um, or is this this latest sort of entry point where you are now a, a psychologist for a, for two teams? Is that your your first entry into the footballing world? Uh, no. So it, it, I've I played football when I was younger, never to a particularly good standard, but I always used to love it, and I loved being part of a team. And I think wanting to be involved in sport as a career has all stemmed from that. Just the love of that feeling of being part of a team and I just loved it as I was growing up um, and then I think I did get into coaching a lot whilst I was doing my degree um, and I got my level one coaching in in my final year of uni actually so I went I was looking towards a coaching path and then as I said with the World Cup and that brought that into fruition I thought to myself actually the the psycholo- the psychological aspect of coaching would be something that would be really good to explore because I think that's really important. I think a coach nowadays needs to have that sort of aspect in their locker. It's not just all about tactics and styles of play and um, things like that. It's also about understanding your players as people as well as as well as performers um, if that makes sense. So I thought of doing the psychology route to build into my coaching would be a really good good way to progress my coaching career so to speak but then once I was doing my sports psychology degree I just found it so interesting really really liked all the topics that I was doing that I just decided that I would focus solely on the psychology side of it and put my coaching to one side and hence why I haven't got any badges since then um, and focus solely on the psychology aspect of it but yes certainly it, the psychology stems from a point of of coaching and how it can be really helpful for coaches and um, for coaches to use. Interesting. So I guess now, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, do you, do you think back to the course and, and when you was, let's say, the level one course, the degree program, do you, do you look back at some of that stuff now and go, ah, okay, now I see why they did this or, you know, or, in in reality they should have done this because actually a player would be psychologically better off by this happening and this happening yeah absolutely I think it's when you've looked at it luckily for me I've looked at it almost from both angles the coaching and the sports psychology perspective and so now it's quite it's definitely helped me in terms of being able to link those two together in terms of how I can talk to coaches and help them in any way that I can and also from the other side of having been a coach very briefly you can almost you can see it from the player's perspective how can the player see the coaching styles the best way so that if that makes sense so that you can get a full circle of that sort of cyclical relationship between coach and player so that everyone's understanding the importance of the psychological aspects of the game that can be introduced into training yep so talking about those two um 
teams that you now work with, obviously Kinja and Brentford ladies. Um, talk us through uh, which one came first and, and how you a little delve in a little bit more to the experience and how you're finding things there. Yeah, absolutely. Obviously, because um, of confidentiality and things like that, I won't be naming Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, don't, don't name names. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so uh, Kinja came first. Um, and then luckily there was a link between Kinja and Brentford ladies. So I got a foot in that door and both were thankfully really keen to get a sports psychologist in their club because they hadn't had one before. So I was very lucky in that sense. Um, so that was brilliant for me. So one Kinja followed, came first and then Brentford after that. And it's been two experiences that have been very, very different. Um, in terms of the things that I've had to do and like I said it's sports psychology is such an individual thing that you even in the same situation you'll get two or three different people interpreting it a different way so that's what makes it so interesting that's what makes it so such an exciting field to be in Um, and I just think that yeah both both opportunities have given me the opportunity to really practice a wide a wide ranging set of skills which has been fantastic so I think like I said building confidence uh done a few team meetings on mindset and the right mindset to have for progression uh, helping people return from injuries um things like that um so yeah lots of different skills that I've been able to test out within the two experiences which has been fantastic how how have you found that contrast? Because obviously, as you've alluded to, you've got Ginger, which is a grassroots club, and then you've got Brentford, which you know is obviously a club that are moving up the ranks uh, in terms of the women's game. So, how how did you find the contrast? Yeah, so I mean, it's not so much a contrast in terms of setup or how it's run in the sense of it i still just go down to training sessions and then on match days at the weekends um and it's still i think with kinjo got two sessions a week uh with the ladies it's I just go to the one um so in terms of the setup and what i'm able to do it's it's pretty much the same because it's quite a, it's been quite a challenge i found it quite a challenge for me in that time frame to get a lot done because obviously it's not a specific time set aside for sports psychology so a lot of the time is spent just wandering around watching seeing if anyone wants to chat um but no not a lot of time just set aside for pure sports psychology stuff which obviously i completely understand they've got it everyone's got to train um at that level clubs don't have the luxury to or the money to buy out pitches for longer lengths of time just to put half an hour of psychology on the end of their sessions and things like that but I just think that it all depends a lot of things have been have been similar but like I said the the individual working with individuals is just completely different and that that's the best way I can explain it you're never going to mm. get two two clubs even if they're at the same level it's never going to be the same experience because um, everyone interprets things in their own way and there has to be no no judgment no comparison between the two because um, people that's that's just how people interpret certain situations is there any 
difference in terms of access to players compared to obviously Kinder and Brentford? Um, is there? No, no, I wouldn't say there is. Like I said, because because the amount of time I spend at training is is the same. Um, I only get that allotted slot and then match days. So I'd, I'd say the 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 amount of time you get with the the men and the ladies is about the same, to be honest. Okay. Um, so obviously at the moment with trainings off across the board for, yeah. for pretty much everyone in terms of the, the football side of things. Um, are you, are you being asked to do any kind of um, psychology stuff from afar at Brentford or at Kinja at the moment? Uh, yeah. So at Kinja, we're doing a, we're trying to run some virtual sessions on a Friday night when the guys would usually train. So um we've got trying to do some tactical analysis with them which comes from the coach's side and then i'm doing maybe 10 minute stints on the end of those sessions just looking at various psychological skills um and just basically it's it's different to how i would usually like to operate because i like it to be more interactive so you can get feedback from the people you're working with and stuff like that but it's definitely it's good for them to get some sort of co- regular contact with football um so trying to do those virtual sessions on a friday night which I've done one so far and think it went really well so that yeah. will come next week which is brilliant and then it's just really already looking forward to pre-season and next season and nothing really for next season has been put in place yet because it's still slightly too early but coaches are working on fitness I'm sure that's for most clubs around the country um trying to build up fitness in this time off because that's basically all we can do when you can't get training and you can't get to see the um the athletes and stuff um but yeah I think when the time comes and when pre-season comes into it start to look at things like team values and um, set goals for the season and just lay the foundations to try and have a really successful season. Yeah, and obviously you did, uh, as you as you've alluded to, the presentation on Friday. Yeah, uh, for Kinja, um, I was there as well. Um, if you had to give a message to any of the players that you're working with, whether that be Kinja or, or Brentford, during this time, what what would it be? It would be, I think, it would be to try and keep things varied. Don't get stuck in, don't get stuck in a rut. Um, try and do something, do something a little bit different every day, especially if, as lots of people have, if there's no school and you're not working, then you're basically just in your house with one bit of exercise to do a day. So that can get quite boring, quite repetitive. Um, so to try and do something varied each day, set yourself little challenges to do each day, just to keep motivation high, to keep spirits high. Um, I would, that's what I would recommend to do. Um, yeah. Great, great words of wisdom there. Um, (laughs) so just looking at your role as a whole, um, Mm -hmm. I just want to find out from you what you would consider maybe your best bit or maybe the best bits about being a sports psychologist what's the most rewarding thing 
thing or things for you as part of your role? Yeah, so I think for me personally, it's it's working with those individuals or a team and being able to see see the progression. So if you're working on something like confidence, being able to, after you've worked with someone, being able to visibly see that they're a happier, more confident person when they're on the pitch or when they're off the pitch is particularly rewarding. So it's it's for me, it's all about that being able to work with someone and then help them progress and help them become better or um, fix a little problem that they they might have perceived that they had or anything like that. And that's a real sense of achievement and satisfaction to be able to help someone like that and just to, to see it happening in front of you. Mm. Yeah, I can imagine that's that must be so satisfying to see. Um, OK, looking at the flip side now. Um, again, we've, <laughs> obviously you don't want to delve into any individual cases or anything like that. So um, just if you can just sort of briefly overview maybe an aspect that you, you don't enjoy as much as, as any other um, about being a sports psychologist. Yeah, OK, that's a good question. Um, what don't I enjoy? Um, like I say, I haven't been doing it for too long and largely... It has been really positive experiences. Of course, when you try something with an individual and it doesn't work, that's not a great feeling. But I think at my stage, that's something that probably needs to happen because I have to learn from those sorts of things and figure out how I could do it a little bit better next time or ref- and reflect on those sorts of things. I think one thing I don't enjoy or what frustrates me at doing it in at this sort of level is probably the the time that's available because obviously you look at if you looked at at an elite level the players coaches are in every day you get a lot more contact you'd maybe feel like you could do a lot more and obviously no fault to the clubs that I'm working with that sort of time isn't available so I think at the moment that is probably the worst thing or the most frustrating thing about being a sports psychologist is almost the fact that I can't do enough of it, if that makes sense, without it being too cheesy because of the time available to me to go into training and matches and things like that doesn't give me too much time to have that major impact or work with a player really long term. Yeah, no, I can understand that. Um, And obviously I get to see it firsthand um, when, when you are down and the impact, the positive impact you have on obviously both the men's team and the under-17s team. Um, so, yeah, I, I can 100% agree. Um, you mentioned about the, I guess, the contact time with the coaches as well. Um, yeah. I want to delve a little bit deeper. How how crucial is that relationship with um, a coach for a sports psychologist? I mean, I, t- I think it's it's fundamental if if I'm honest I mean I've been very lucky with the two clubs that I've got into all the coaches very welcoming very open to introducing these techniques and also use these techniques already in their coaching sessions which is fantastic so I've got very lucky in that sense but I think without that openness without that willingness to incorporate psychology into their coaching it would be extremely hard for it to be effective because you you need to be in my opinion you need to have coaching staff that are all 
working together and pulling in the same direction. So if you've got coaches who aren't open to the idea of using psychology, um, then that job as a psychologist becomes almost impossible because they will, their training sessions won't incorporate using those techniques. They won't be trying to develop the players mentally. Um, and then that just becomes a very difficult job to do. But as I say, that's all speculation because I haven't experienced that because the coaches that I've worked with have been really good and really open to to using sports psychology. No, 100%. It's, it's, it's your... It's your experience, and um, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sure certainly for you, and I, I think you're probably right there anyway in terms of that relationship. Um, just thinking all the way back to those initial sessions where you came down to Kinja or you went down to Brentford, yeah. um, how, how did those feel for you um, coming in, um, obviously with a bunch of players you've, you've never met before, a bunch of coaches you've never met before, and... Yeah, how, how how did those feel for you? Well, I was nervous, I can tell you that. But um, it was, no, it was good. I think that was, they were probably the hardest times because, like you say, you don't know the players, don't know the coaches. So you're almost just, you've just got to throw yourself in and try and get to know them as quickly as possible. And developing those sorts of relationships you, there needs to be an element of trust there and trust takes a while to develop which is completely understandable so those first few weeks months are the difficult bits where you're trying to develop that rapport with the coaches with the players so that they feel that they can come and talk to you about things like that and for some players it takes a lot longer to develop that for some it will take a little bit less time so I think those early few weeks are well, you'll know for the first few weeks, I didn't do too much. I just wandered around, had little chats with with some of the guys, um, just made myself known, basically. And then only after being there for a few weeks did I properly try to get involved and really delve into the job that I was supposed to be doing because it takes time to develop those sorts of relationships. Now, I know this is going to be like a can of worms this one <laughs> opening um but purely because there's just so much i'm sure but uh when you're watching these sessions mm -hmm. what are you specifically looking out for so i think i mean like you say there's there's so many things you you look to my notebook it's got all sorts of scribbles in it that you end up scribbling out at the end of the night because it wasn't even important but you've <laughs> You're looking at things like how how players interact with each other, how they respond to making mistakes, how they respond to doing something right. Um, you're looking at whether they get distracted on the pitch. You're, I mean, you're trying to look at as much as you can, really. But I think it's important. It's easy to get into a rhythm where you look for things that are wrong and that's absolutely not the case so it's not I don't like to look at it in the way I work as it being problem focused I like to think of it as you're looking for how you can help rather than how you can fix anything and it's so I'm not just standing there trying to pick faults in people so that I can improve them it's just simply about trying to observe trying to just just objectively trying to look at what people are doing and recording that down so that when you speak to a player, you have a basic understanding of 
what they do, how they react to things, whether that be a good or a bad thing, generating that basic understanding of how a player, how a person operates gives you a lot better chance to work effectively with them, I think. Mm. And I, I guess as well that that the same thing applies for coaches when you're working with coaches. Uh, yeah, I mean, absolutely. I think you need to understand your your players as players, but also as people in order to for that relationship to be fully functioning. Um, I think that's a really crucial, crucial thing for especially in the modern game to understand them as as people first almost and that other things go on in people's lives that aren't just football and understanding all that is is crucial to that relationship for a coach and a player. Now, I know with the Kinja men's team, um, you have, obviously, you, you, you've been to a lot more games um, and you've been able to to listen into some of the team talks and I know you've, you've worked with Harry and um, you're, you're feeding back ideas with him in terms of team team talks yeah. um i was just wondering and again this is probably a very open-ended question but for you what what does a perfect team talk look like what does it need to include um what does it need to include so i think i mean some of my answers must sound like such a cop-out but it does depend on the situation the type yeah. of game all those things will affect what needs to be said um for me it should always be clear it should always be motivating um and basically just very concisely ironing ironing out what it is that you 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 want from your players i think by the time they get to a match day or they get to half time they know how to play so it's about reminding them of of to do the to do the things that they they want them to do if that makes sense so if you want them to play out from the back then make sure they follow those basic principles and I think as a coach if they do what you're asking them to do then you don't really have too much cause to be to be annoyed with them or to get frustrated with them and so a team talk should outline those basic principles really so that there's a good understanding between player and coach. But like I say, it could be different situation would require different things. And but that generically, I think that would be a decent starting point. Great. Um, so slightly out there question, this one. Mm-hmm. Um, but obviously, you know, the world we live in, in terms of uh, technological advancements. Um, yeah. So I wondered if and I know, I know, obviously, you're quite fresh to, to working within a team environment and sports psychology. But has tech, technology had any effect on that at all? On psychology? Yeah. I mean, absolutely it would have done. I mean, I think if, if you think of of key games where technology has played a big impact, I mean, I'm a Spurs fan, so quite a few come <laughs> to mind, um, particularly against Man City. But those sorts of things, I think it, it, it technology requires there to be an an increased resilience within your team because you can go from that euphoria of thinking you've scored a goal to that suddenly being taken away from you and being able to deal with that sort of sudden setback requires requires a great deal of resilience and some teams will do it better than others 
um, and consider I think it's here to stay. So it's definitely something to responding to those sorts of moments of adversity will become quite quite crucial for for teams going forward because obviously the Spurs case is probably a poor one because it happened so late in the game so there's not a lot of time to do anything but for example Sheffield United played Spurs in the in the league and they had a goal disallowed in the 60 60th minute or something like that and they they showed the resilience to not let that setback um, dampen how they were playing and they went on and just scored again so that just showed that they had that resilience within their side probably one of the most resilient sides in that particular league um so it definitely has that sort of impact and it creates more situations for players to become stressed for players to become um anxious or a bit down or on the flip side of that it can cause ecstasy and really high um emotions and then it's about trying to regulate those so you focus back on the task in hand so yeah, definitely, without a doubt, will have a massive impact. Yeah, and hopefully one day you'll you'll be at the the higher ends of the game where you can actually experience it. Um, I think I think that's the aspiration for us all, really. But uh, no, good good answer there. Um, so just sort of returning back a little bit to your um, coaching side as well. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I wanted to ask you if you had any bits of advice for. Uh, a coach who's going into a new team. This is their first session or their, you know, their, their first team meeting with their team. Um, yeah. Would you have any advice as to what they should do in terms of planning for their team and and setting up maybe a culture or anything like that? So I think when you go into a new environment, um, my the best piece of advice I could probably give from my limited experience would be that just to be honest. So be as honest with as you can with everyone that you're going to be working with. Um, so everyone is on the same page. And I think having an honest relationship means that if you're honest with someone, if, if you have to deliver bad news, like they're going to be dropped or whatever, as long as you're honest with them, then I think that that will help that relationship. And I think going into a new environment, especially in a sports team, you can't pick everyone. You can't necessarily please everyone. So being honest about those sorts of things is really crucial to creating a good team, team environment, team atmosphere. And if you can get your players so that they feel like they can be honest with you and you're willing for them to be honest with you, even if it's negative, then that is that relationship then becomes a lot stronger. Good. In terms of um, goal setting and um, sort of coming up with those team values, is it something that you you would suggest the coach to involve the players in the decision making process? Uh, yeah, I think I think without a doubt, I think um, actually my dissertation for my master's on the um, coach-athlete relationship and one of the things that came out of it was that there was an improvement in that relationship if players felt like they had more autonomy so more control in what was going on within their within their team and with their coaches so I think things like that you can't set values for a team for them if that makes sense that needs to be a collective decision that they 
they believe those values are important to them. Because if the players involved in the club don't believe in the values that are set, then they won't adhere to them. And then that will probably lead to more conflict down the line when it comes to how do you punish someone for not adhering to team values. Um, if they don't believe in the values in the first place and they're not their own values, then they won't. Then that will just cause a cause more trouble. So yeah, absolutely. When doing those sorts of things, values, team goals, it's definitely important to get player input, in my opinion. Good. And um, you just mentioned about that conflict. Would you have any guidance as to to how to how to deal with a player who maybe? has a bit of conflict or there's a bit of conflict between you and a player what what would be the approach again i think it needs to be it needs to be an open approach it needs to be an honest approach um because those those sorts of situations don't get me wrong they're they're difficult to handle nobody likes to handle them but often if you get your guard up or if you get defensive, it can those sorts of things can escalate. So having an open and honest conversation um, would be the best place to start. Of course, everyone is different. Some some people might respond better to being to being told in, instead of discussing it. And but a lot of people will prefer to not be dictated to um, and to have that open discussion so that you can understand where the conflict's coming from. I think understanding. The origin of conflicts is crucial to, um, what's the word, diminishing them. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, so returning more back to yourself and your, and your aspirations, um, I wanted to know if you had any role model in the field? Um, role model for sports psychology, sorry. Yeah, yeah. If I'm perfectly honest with you, no, because it's obviously I've not been in the field for too long. And I think the nature of the the job that a sports psychologist does is quite confidential. So it's not particularly you're not front page. You're not taking press conferences after a game, explaining how your technique helped this person score or anything like that. It's a lot of what is done, which suits me, is behind the scenes so it's not there on the front and center um it almost just quietly get about your business and then and then you just sit back and hopefully what you've done works but so in that sense role model not so not as such to be honest um you look at certain people like gareth southgate for example and i think he handles himself exceptionally and the relationship he's managed to develop with those players over the years has been fantastic and one of the reasons for the success so that potentially was a leading reason why I was interested in sports psychology but specific sports psychologist role model not too much because it is a it is a backseat job if uh, I hope that doesn't sound rude because it's not but yeah no, i can understand um yeah you know what i'd love to see a, a psychologist come up and do an interview um <laughs> after a game that'd be so funny um so for you and again this is probably just opinion um so i i really do want to you know pickle your brains a little bit but um what what do you feel a good psychologist has what's what's the qualities of a really good sports psychologist so I think 
that they need to be they need to be able to communicate well. I think it's quite important to be able to have those clear lines of communication with your players. Um, I think it needs to be you need to have that ability to be non-judgmental because a lot of things that you discuss, a lot of things that you will talk about with with athletes or or whoever with coaches can be quite sensitive. Uh, they can be things that people don't necessarily want to talk about. Um, so being able to show that you, there'll be no judgment there, I think, is really important. Um, obviously, you have to be knowledgeable. And I think that's something that I'm learning quite quickly because I'm, my knowledge base is I'm still trying to build that at the minute. Um, and when you're not knowledgeable on the stuff that you're working with, I think you can be found out quite quickly, which... I'm not too proud to say has happened to me over times, but then I try and combat that by being honest with people and telling them that uh, what stage I'm at and that I'm not, I don't know everything at this stage. Well, I don't think you ever know everything, but you know what I mean? Yeah. So being able to be, be non-judgmental, be a good communicator, are, are almost fundamental skills that will, will get your foot in the door and then be building up that knowledge um, will in, enable you to be able to be effective at what you do great and just talking about that that knowledge collection um yeah. are you doing anything at the moment given obviously the fact that we're all indoors now um are you doing it any terms of knowledge collection and, and building up a library at, at the moment yeah so I, I try and do a bit of bit of reading most days um various books or research articles things like that just to just to keep the brain ticking over various things obviously brilliant experience for me to do these virtual training sessions because I get to prepare something each week which means more reading which means developing those skills and learning um, all that sort of stuff which is really good um, so yeah I think lots of reading and then once I start my stage two I hope that that will be a real um very enlightening in terms of uh practical work and how to how to improve my work in in the practical field and that stage two how how, how do you go about is there a, a certain criteria i mean obviously you've got to be stage one but you know is there is there any minimum amount of hours or a minimum amount of teams or people you've got to work with so i don't there is a minimum minimum amount of hours that you have to do i don't know what it is off the top of my head sorry but oh that's that's all right that's not <laughs> um, yeah there is minimum hours that you need to do and you need to do you need to have got to stage one which was basically my master's and then i'm having i'm currently doing a psychology conversion course with the open university so that is once i've completed that then i'll be ready to embark on my stage two Great, great. And is that so the open university, that's all online, isn't it? Yeah, that's all online. Yeah. So that's yeah, uh, being able to hopefully we'll be all be able to finish that. Good. Um, so I just move in slightly on um, mm. in terms of lessons that you've learned, what would you say has probably been one of the key key lessons that you've, you've sort of learned and developed from? Uh, throughout my what yeah throughout your experiences yeah sorry 
Um, great question. I think that one thing that I've learned is definitely to try and be a bit more confident in my approach. I think when I when I came into both the two clubs, potentially I was wasn't as confident as I should have been in reaching out to the players, and that potentially is a reason why haven't had or the contact with players hasn't come more regularly or hasn't or didn't start coming as quickly as I maybe would have liked so I think definitely trying to put myself in front of the players a bit more um, is something that I've learned I also think that when working with individuals I've learned that things don't need to be there's no quick fix if that makes sense so things don't won't um, happen overnight and any sort of techniques that you put in really needs to be made clear that these things need to be worked on and it's not a sort of one attempt and then oh it didn't work try something else and really try and persevere with these the sort of techniques that you're working with really try and use them for a good amount of time to see if they have an effect in terms of if there's anyone listening in who might be an aspiring sports psychologist. Uh, do you have any sort of words of wisdom for them or any, uh, I guess, guidance as to where they can go? Um, so I think if you're looking at going into sports psychology, then certainly enrolling in a in a course is a really good thing to do. I think you can you can not necessarily I'm not saying jump straight into a degree or anything like that, but you can do online courses um, which touch on particular psychological skills. So that could give a little taster of um, how psychology can work for athletes and coaches. Um, so if it's something that's an interest to you, that could then doing those sorts of courses could really tell you if if it's what you think it is. Um, so certainly something like that. And then also pick up some pick up some psychologically related books, I guess. There are lots of them out there which are written written really well so that they're interesting and they cover various techniques and things like that. I'm reading one at the minute uh, called Bounce, which is all about um, player progression and whether you have innate talent or whether it can be learned, which I think is a really important distinction for young players. So... Yeah, those sorts of things. Lots of reading. Just flood yourselves with information, I think. Well, not flood yourselves with it, but but do a yeah, put yourself out there so that you can you can gather the information you need to know whether it's a path for you, I guess. Good words, good words. Um so I guess off the back of that, should should we as a as a community, should we start seeing some more sports psychologists at grassroots level? Is that a good thing? I mean, I hope so. I think they can definitely be of they can definitely be a benefit at grassroots level. I think it's quite clear that they are beneficial now at a high elite level, and most high elite clubs will will have a sports psychologist either working with them or one that they can call in to do some work. Um, but I, I hope so because I think I know there were twelve or thirteen other people on my master sports psychology course who. Some of them are going on to do sports psychology, some of them aren't, but I know that they all would have been fantastic at it and looking for opportunities. So there's definitely enough supply out there for, their, for them to 
to recruit someone and I think it can be really beneficial especially to help with player progression and things like mindsets and just all those sorts of things because the your mind has a massive impact on how you behave and how you play the game and I think understanding that and being able to control that can be really beneficial at whatever level you're working at. So we we've talked about your journey and um I guess really the the last step in it is uh what's your ambition? What's the overarching ambition for Ollie to go and break into an industry? So first step, uh get stage two. So get actually qualified. Um so I don't have to call myself a training sports psychologist anymore. I call myself a sports psychologist or whatever the technical term is. Um so that's get that done and then that will still be a, f- a few years I think that process takes quite a while so that will be good for me to be able to get the experience um, develop new skills and keep learning and reflecting on what I've been doing so that would be that would be good to get to that stage and then once that stage I guess you just you see you see what comes up hopefully um, hopefully the teams I'm working with now will make some progression hopefully and potentially more opportunities will come up once I get the experience and um, become become qualified but yeah I mean I I wouldn't want to put a limit on it of course I'd love to work as Tottenham Hotspurs sports psychologist in the future but that's a long way off at the minute so for me that's that I'm not thinking about that too much and just trying to trying to take the baby steps towards towards getting near there of course, of course. Um, if if anyone did want to be Tottenham Hotspur's uh, <laughs> sports psychologist, what would they need? Would what you they need, what yeah. would they need to do at Tottenham Hotspur? What would they need? <laughs> what they would need to get there, get get into the the position. <laughs> I think, like with any sort of any sort of job, any sort of profession, if you want to get to the top, you have to be. You have to be motivated to do it. You have to want to do it. You have to love to do it, um, which I think luckily for me is something that at this stage I am and I hope I still am once I finish all the courses and all that sort of stuff. Um, obviously, like I said earlier, you need to you need to build up that way of working with players that works. You need to create something, a model for yourself that, that you know is effective. Um, and yeah i think you have to be you have to be sure of yourself you have to you have to believe that you can can do it because i think that goes with anything whether you're playing coaching sports psychology you need to you need to believe that you you can do it otherwise you you'll probably get found out at some point and in terms of i guess the actual um qualification side do you need a, a? Is there a step three? Do you need a step three, or would it be a step two, or ha, so what, I, what they after? I believe that once you get your stage two, um, which, as I said, is potentially a, a four-year process. I think um, once you get that, I believe that you then become um, sorry, then become qualified, and that would that would be it for your for your qualifications that you would need of course you can always do with anything you can do side things which 
get add a little string to your bow or whatever but in terms of just sports psychology i think once you do your stage two that is it but could easily be wrong on that as well great stuff and um as you know as i have introed right at the, the very start um this this podcast series is one that's dedicated towards coaching and a lot of the stuff like yourself coming on um will hopefully be of, of benefit to coaches so i was wondering if you had any messages for any coaches listening in maybe something regarding the importance of sports psychology and and, and how, how they could bring it into their game yeah so i think like i've said it is really it is important to bring it in um it it sometimes isn't a priority for coaches uh, understandably if they've got a lot of a lot of other things to consider um but i just think it's something that they can they don't need to do it the main focus of their session but incorporate little bits of it into their session just the way they talk um focus on things like mindset is is something that can be easily developed through the language that you use as a coach so developing that sort of take away the fear of failure so that they're when you're coaching your players they they're taking risks they're they're willing to to make the mistakes that will help them learn especially at a young age um and i think psychology doesn't necessarily need to be this this big hoopla this big thing um that that you either do it or you don't you don't do it i think it can be something that you just gradually incorporate into your your coaching style and i think um certain coaches will find that a lot easier certain coaches may find that a lot more difficult but if you can just do it even in really small amounts um then it can be really helpful for your team and like i said it doesn't need to be a big half an hour meeting at the end of sessions it can be things that you probably don't even realize that you're doing like creating creating constraints in your training practice is using sports psychology it's it's that's a way of not coaching using explicit knowledge which will help which will help players perform under pressure and things like that so a, a lot of coaches will probably use sports psychology without really realizing it so sometimes it's just helpful to get a tap on the shoulder and make them aware of that and then they can incorporate sports psychology more effectively into their sessions brilliant and final question as you alluded to a little bit earlier on you're, you're obviously reading a book called bounce yeah uh, are there any other resources that you would sort of point for coaches to go and have a look at or go and have a listen to uh, to, to to improve their knowledge on on this side of the game yeah, so I think there's um, a guy called Dan Abrahams does a really good podcast called the Sports Psych Show, um, which is a really interesting podcast to listen to, which talks to various professionals or um, ex-players or researchers about psychology and how they've done it in the applied world, which would be these are people that have been doing it for many years. So we'll have a lot more interesting things to say than I would. Um, <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> also, I think um, anyone working with, with young teams or, or yeah, young youth squads reading, um, can't remember a first name, but I think Dweck's book on the growth mindset is really, really good. Cause I think that's a fundamental thing for, 
for young younger or youth team athletes you won't get too near the top if you don't adopt a growth mindset I don't think so that could be a really interesting thing if if the coaches understand what that is then it becomes a lot easier to incorporate into sessions and to pass on to athletes brilliant well there, there you go then guys you've got something to listen to and some something to go and have a, a read of um the sports psychology podcast um it's really good um i was listening i don't know if i told you earlier i was listening to one and it had the wimbledon the afc wimbledon academy um manager on there yeah it was really good it was just talking about what they do and obviously like as you said the fact that they see people or they see players as people first and then the player second um and yeah it's really interesting so i I mean i i vouch for you i think recommend that um i think that'd be a really good listen Uh, i'm i'm interested to find out i think i've heard of bounce before um i'm not obviously not read it but i'm interested to find out what your thoughts are on that afterwards um but i've heard heard some good things about that so that's good um okay brilliant so for now we're going to call it full time for this podcast there's so much more i want to ask you um, but I'm going to save you that that task, um, and I'm sure we'll probably have a, another episode um, soon where maybe we can discuss a couple of these topics in a bit more detail. Maybe get a couple more coaches on as well. Um, maybe we could talk about some mental rehearsal or mindset stuff. Um, I don't know yeah. if that would interest you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, brilliant. Um, so, yeah, if that interests you as well, listening in, by all means, leave leave a little comment and um, I'm sure we can sort something out. And, um, yeah, if you've got any questions for Ollie, please please do send them in and I'll send them his way and we'll see what we can do. But uh, that was really good. Thank you very much for that, Ollie. No, thank you, Danny. Thanks for having me on. No problem. Um, how can, if, if anyone wanted to follow you on social media, how could they follow you on social media? Yeah, so um, they follow me on Twitter. Uh, I've got a specific page for my sports psychology stuff on Twitter. So it's Oliver Cottis, and the username is at Cottis Oliver, and Cottis is C O T T I S. Is it all one word? All one word. Oh, there we go. Yeah, I found you now. I found you. You've been hiding from me. (laughs) Yeah, that's me. Brilliant. And um, if, if anyone, obviously, like we have done in the past, if anyone is interested uh, in, in terms of joining Kinja uh, as a player, as a coach, you can do that by checking out the website. Uh, just go into Google, Kinja, go into Google, Google Kinja FC, um, and it will be pretty much the first one. I'm, I'm, I'm sure of it. Um, and just go on there and just submit a um an interest into joining the club and someone will be back to you. So brilliant. Um, Ollie, as, once again, thank you very much. I really do appreciate your time. Um, and um, I hope you take care over this, this uncertain period. Yeah. You too, Danny. Thank you very much. Brilliant. And of course to you, the listeners, thank you very much for your time. Hope you enjoyed this episode until next time. Goodbye. <laughs>